0: Thank y'all for joining us again. It's Friday afternoon at our house, and a lot of appliances are running because it's a home with people in it. So you may hear some things in the background, but we're glad you're with us as we go back and look in the study of Elijah. And Elijah's study is a reminder of God's goodness, God's mercy, God's forgiveness, God's faithfulness. And today we're going to be looking at a special story of just God's presence in times of great discouragement and uh, what that meant for Elijah. So. We're in 1 Kings chapter 19, and Christie will tell us where we're at and where we're heading.
1: We're going to go ahead and start in verse 1. Um, if you need any background on 1 Kings, I challenge you to look at the beginning of the last week's lesson as we kind of hit on that a little bit harder. Um, but 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough for it, he said take my life I am no better than my ancestors then he lay down under the bush and fell asleep
0: well as you begin to look at this passage it's pretty straightforward Um, Elijah is threatened by the most powerful person in the kingdom which is Jezebel and it gets to him it just goes right to the very core of his being and it gets to him emotionally mentally even physically, and this same Elijah that stood on the Mount Carmel just a few uh, short period of time before, uh, reacts in a really strong and harsh and fearful and then self-condemning way, and it's kind of what we're going to look at today as we see God's faithfulness in that.
1: Yeah, last week, um, Elijah was literally on the mountaintop of um, Mount Carmel, and he had Battled it out, so to speak, with the gods of Baal, um, the followers of Baal, and the god Baal, and g- our God, the one true God, had revealed Himself to all the people there and made Himself known. And Ahab sent back word to Jezebel what had happened, and and she's like, well, I'm just going to go ahead and take care of Elijah like he took care of my prophets, and. Elijah got scared and ran.
0: Yeah, there's... When, when you look at this passage, it's such a... It's a personally challenging passage because a lot of times when I think about God working in somebody's life, we, we like to think of them as almost supernatural beings and taking on supernatural persona. Uh, in fact, we think about writers of Scripture, you know, we, we kind of have this... You know, blinded. Let's not pretend they're real humans and, and didn't have all the same realities and struggles that we did. Um, but basically, Jezebel says, "By tomorrow, this time, you're going to be dead." And Elijah flips out, and, and rightly so. I mean, he runs for his life. But the interesting thing about that is, we, on the outside looking in, we all look and say, "Why would he run?" I mean, the day before, God literally poured down fire from heaven, and you know, four hundred something prophets were. Were, uh, dispatched and gone. I mean, why does he run from this one person? But he runs for the same reason that we run. Uh, we thought circumstances were going to be different. We thought that we had done the right thing, and now things are going to be right. We think that, you know, we make the apology, we make the phone call, we fill out the form and send it in. We, I mean, whatever it is, we think we've done it, and that should finish it. And and it, and it didn't.
1: Yeah, we sometimes like Daniel said We view a lot of the Bible characters So to speak As these great heroes And they have supernatural powers Kind of like we're watching the Avengers or something But they're normal human beings Just like us And Elijah faced great excitement But he also faced great discouragement Which is kind of the point of the lesson today is, is his focus The writer's focusing on Elijah's Discouragement and disappointment Um, and how we can't let the down parts of our life completely ruin us and keep us from serving God and from serving other people. Um, He does at this point, I, I found that interesting right here, that he asked his servant to stay in a particular place and he took a day's journey and went into the wilderness. and. Found a bush that he could sit under, and he was just so discouraged that he said, "I don't have anything worth to live for. Just go ahead and take my life. I'm done." Um, especially, you know, like like Daniel had said after we just witnessed through reading of Scripture what has just taken place. Um, sometimes we want to question, "How did he drop so fast?" Um, but what we need to think about is how quickly that happens to us, and how quickly that not only happens to us, but happens to other people around us that we might point a finger at. And how quickly discouragement can just take over, and um, if we allow it to, can completely control us.
0: Yeah, I mean, one of the things that's probably really at play in this scenario is you know the way we determine success. and. You know, I, I'm not going to mind read for Elijah, but I have to believe that standing on top of that mountain, watching the prophets of Baal drive themselves crazy for about you know six hours, I have to imagine that Elijah is sitting there saying, "Okay, things are changing. This is this going to be different from here on out, and people are going to listen to God, but they're going to listen to God through me." And you know and and that's that idea of what is success I mean we really struggle with that in in America Um, we've Christianized it to the point that a lot of times we don't realize we struggle with it but we do, we really struggle with what is success Um, and so when it doesn't happen the way Elijah probably expected it to happen he literally goes off and he he, it's interesting when he prays to die he says this I'm no better than my ancestors and I think that when you read the prayers of the people in the Bible, what they're doing is revealing what's going on in their heart. And what Elijah potentially was thinking is, I'm going to be the prophet that ends this idol worship in Israel. And not that he was going to do it, but that God was going to do it during his time period. And when it doesn't happen, Elijah's response is, I'm just like every other prophet. I mean, just go ahead and make my life, and let's just be done with this thing. I don't even want to be a part of it anymore and uh, then he lays down in the bush and falls asleep.
1: Yes, I I found um, a lot of, not just, not humor in that, but really related to him, that you get so overwhelmed sometimes, Mm -hmm. and in your discouragement, that all you wanna do is rest and sleep. Um, Depression, or just, not even clinical depression or anything, just some, just discouragement in general. All you wanna do is, is isolate yourself Whether that's sleep Or you know Playing a game of solitaire on your phone Or Candy Crush Or whatever it is You want to isolate yourself from the world And in essence fall asleep
0: And I, I know we're going to talk a little bit more On this on this topic When we get to this next section But I want to go ahead and say something here uh, Because Christian and I talked about this personally In the second section But God lets him sleep He falls asleep, God lets him sleep, and he sleeps for a period of time. We're going to get into the next verses in just a minute, but he sleeps for a period of time and God lets him sleep.
1: Yes, he just doesn't bash him or beat him over the head when he wakes up, which we're going to see in a minute. He just lets him rest. Okay, so we're going to skip over verses 5 through 10, but just a quick summary here. Um, An angel woke Elijah up after he had been sleeping under this broom bush, which I have no idea what that is. Do you know what that is?
0: It's a bush that looks like a broom.
1: Okay. Well, whatever that broom bush is. (laughs) It
0: really does. (laughs) The
1: angel woke him up and fed him. Yeah. And he fell asleep again. And the angel woke him up again after a little bit of time and fed him again. He ate and he drank. And then the angel had told him he needed nourishment because he had a long journey ahead. So when he woke up, he traveled for 40 days and nights to Mount Horeb. Mount Horeb is where um, Moses received the Ten Commandments from God. And when he got there, he went into a cave and he spent the night. Again, he went back to sleep. And then God comes to him and he asks him, What are you doing? And then we're going to pick up in verse Mm -hmm. 11 here. And the Lord said, He pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, tore down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they are all trying to kill me too.
0: This is a potentially for many of you it's a well-known passage you've heard it taught or spoken of at times because of the way that God presents himself not in these majestic behaviors which he had just done Mm -hmm. uh, prior and by presenting himself as fire um, on the Mount uh, uh, Mount Carmel but in this case he doesn't he presents himself as a quiet whisper but before we go there I want us to Look at that last verse because too often I hear people say things like, Well, I want to think this, or I want to do this, or I want to go there, but I know that's not what a Christian's supposed to do. Um, the problem with that is they're telling the wrong person. And if they're telling you that, or you're telling me that, we're telling the wrong person. When Elijah prays, he tells God what exactly he's thinking. And I think sometimes, because I've done this, I'll pray. I'll pray a spiritual prayer to God, to the God who knows my heart. I'll act like, you know, well, dear Lord, if thou is wouldest, and this is, and those is, and the others, and not say, God, I'm ticked because things didn't go my way, and that person hurt me, harmed me, whatever. So don't miss what's happening here between God and Elijah. It's um, God's revealing himself as Elijah is faithful to, to trust God. He trusts God by telling him,
1: so. right. And if if you look back and you've read First Kings and listened to these um, lessons, you know that Elijah's spent so much time alone with God, and not necessarily alone with God. He lived with a widow for several years and her son. He was um, out near a brook. He's he's been alone with God in the sense that he's not just been on in the public eye and you know um, leading people, so to speak, for a while. And so he already has had this time to interact with God and have this one-on-one time with him, sometimes in a way that we feel like we don't, because we feel like we're so busy and we have all this stuff going on, and, and we may, um, but Elijah has a relationship with God because he's cultivated that, and like Daniel was saying, pointed out that's this last verse before we even talk about the other stuff, that is so right because in his um, discouragement he's able to because he has a relationship with God cry out to him in that way Um, the same way I do when I'm alone in my car or in my shower just be like I don't get this I don't understand Mm -hmm. what we're going through and the pain or the frustration Um, how did this happen how did how did this get to this point you know and he's here and he's like but I'm the only one left and you know, telling God all this. Now, hindsight, God does answer him later on. He's like, no, you're really not the only one left. But he doesn't fuss at him. He just lets Elijah speak. Um, and he had already said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah didn't respond. And he said, that that's when he sent the earthquake and um, the, what was the other one? The wind. And then he spoke to Elijah in the whisper. Yeah,
0: so, I mean, verse... Verse 14 which we just read there is basically the, a mirror verse to verse 10 which is Elijah's response to God. So he basically says this and then God comes and appears to him and Elijah says it all over again. So that's why I said it's last but it comes first because it literally does come first in this. And and he's at, there's, there's a lot of symbolism happening here. Um, he's at Mount Sinai where the Ten Commandments were given, where Moses you know, stayed up on the mountaintop with God for 40 days, Elijah travels for 40 days. I mean, there's so many things happening here that are showing Elijah's dependence on the one true God. There's a reason he goes to Mount Sinai. There's a reason why he spends the amount of time that he spends. Um, these aren't just happenstance things. And so when he does that, those are acts of faith on his part and then god appears to him in an earthquake and or potentially an earthquake and potentially in fire two ways that god has presented himself before to his people But yet with elijah that's not it and and it's interesting that elijah recognizes the whisper um because it says in verse 13 it says when elijah heard it he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave and i think that's so interesting because of what you were just saying about how you know, Elijah had all that personal time with God to the point that he knew who God was and had you know, a relationship with Him. And so these two major events happened, things that would make us all think that that's God, You know, an earthquake and fire, but yet Elijah doesn't respond to those, he responds to the whisper.
1: Right. Um, and that's even true today. I um, hear a lot of people saying well, God's showing us this in this situation, and God's showing us this in this situation, and um, those are people I turn off pretty quickly because really, I mean, did God make you God? You know, who, who are you to, to to say all that? Because if you look at this passage, you see that if you have a connection with God in the sense that you you, you may feel like quote, I don't go to church as much as I should or I don't read my Bible as much as I should all those things that you may have been told but if you pray to God and you ask Him to help you through life and take the next step and take the next breath, you know when He speaks back to you. You can feel that gentle whisper in your soul and so when people say those things and you just dismiss it like, okay, they may be crazy that's okay because He speaks to you so you can listen to Him in the way He speaks to you
0: yeah, I mean, there's a ton of prognosticating and we want, we like to take every event and place God in it in our favor. And and that, honestly and that's that's a real when when you hear people saying those sorts of things, ask yourself the question, who benefits, God or them? And ninety eight point eighty into infinity it's them. And I mean, we see it on social media, but it's not find the social media they do it from pulpits and they do it from coffee break rooms and they do it from you know emails or whatever it's this you know you need to do x for god's punishing because of this and every time they do it i want to say to them it's amazing how god always punishes to benefit you and i think this is kind of where elijah's at he's frustrated that god hasn't done something to personally benefit him but he doesn't warp it he just takes it uh, and he meets God. So there's some interesting thoughts there.
1: Yeah, there's something I want to read to you. If you have your book, it's on page 110. And the writer, um, I'm just going to read it straight out of there. It says, um, What the prophet Elijah didn't realize was that he didn't need God to change his situation, he needed God to be with him in his struggle. God's presence changes everything. It's not just what God does for us that makes the difference. It's who He is with us that's the game changer. Mm -hmm. Recognizing God's presence changes our perception of our circumstances. So if you find yourself in a dark, gloomy place, and if you're a human, you probably already have or you will, um, that's okay. We don't need to be necessarily seeking God around every single corner. Because God is present with us even in those deep, dark moments. Mm-hmm. It's not what He's doing for us to get us out of that pit and make us all better. It's the fact that He's with us in the pit yeah. and He's holding us and carrying us through our storms.
0: Psalm 139, you want a good reference to that? Go and read it. Um, and in that, that two or three sentences that Christy read, that sums up everything we've stumbled to try to say for the last four or five minutes because what we're trying to articulate to you isn't something that's easy because we have this idea that Christianity means getting what we want because we just attach God's name to it whether it be politically, economically uh, morally, whatever it is we just attach God's name to it and we should get it if we don't then God's punishing and we treat it like that but God is present with us not necessarily doing something for us
1: right I'll give you one example Uh, if you come into our home ever and you're welcome if you want to um, our foster child at the present time, about said his name, is here <laughs> with us. Um, you will not get a turn. That's what I always say. I can't have a turn. He never lets me have a turn he doesn't. because he's so loud in his little truck that he rides on. In our house up. if you're at church, it, he just pedals around. I'm, everybody knows what I'm talking about if you go to church but at our house it's motorized thanks to called care and so he drives this thing around and he's super duper loud and, just, ah! and you can't have a turn unless you go find the room shut the door and don't let him in for just a minute so to me this is how elijah is it's like here's god speaking in the earthquake or god is delivering that but he's not speaking so there's this earthquake and there's this wind and it's so loud and so much but yet Elijah knows God in the quiet, so you might, other people might experience God in this loud, boisterous room, and there's a lot of chaos. That's not me. I don't study with music on, you know, this loud guitar music. I have to be alone and really quiet, and so if you have that personality of sitting in a room and everybody around you is just yelling and screaming and talking over each other to have their turn, you might feel... Kind of like this, like, okay, when's it going to be my turn? Do I get a turn? And that's how God spoke to Elijah, was in the quiet and in the stillness.
0: Yes, uh, which is the constant reminder we need to see quiet and stillness. Yeah. Um, a lot There's more.
1: a question I'll, I'll read out loud. Um, we may or may not answer it, but here it is. What do these verses teach us about God? And then question, uh, another question here, and, and I'll answer this one. How can we learn to better recognize when God speaks?
0: That one. Um, well, let me try on the first one. Okay. What do these verses teach us about God? They teach us that God is not there as our personal genie. Um, Elijah ran from Jezebel because he thought he was going to die. And so you have to imagine while he's running and he's spending these 40 days in the wilderness, how do you think he wants God to show up? I, mean, I know how I want God to show up with a, with a fiery javelin. I mean, I want Jezebel gone. And most of the ways that we present God now, that's how we present Him. But that's not how God presented Himself. And that's not how ultimately Elijah recognized God um, as well. So these verses teach us about God that just because you're not getting your way and, and just because things aren't going to your side or your group's side. Um, don't believe that God is not present, and don't believe God's standing there necessarily with a javelin about to vanquish everybody just for you. He might be over there whispering in the corner, and we can't get over it because, you know, we're screaming at the top of our lungs to, to get what we want out of it. So
1: yeah. Um, the the second one, how can we learn to better recognize when God speaks? I wrote um, quit looking, not that we're not seeking God, not that we're not reading scripture and praying and having a relationship with Him but sometimes we look for God around every single corner in the sense of well God's causing this to happen Mm, to teach me this or God's allowing me to go through this fiery circumstance to teach me this or He's put me on the mountaintop so I can lead these people we we sometimes seek God out in the sense of gaining our own Um, stage and that's that's not how God speaks we can better recognize how God speaks by just allowing him to speak to us through the loud and the moisturous times but also in the quiet times um, in the mundane walks of life
0: yeah if God's not present in the ordinary then he's not present Um, if it has to be extraordinary for it to be God then that's a construct of our own imagination and that's us building God in our own image Which, you know, God of course Is instructed us not to do yeah. <laughs> But it's so tempting I, I mean, it, it is I mean, it's, it's our probably our greatest fallacy As religious people is to construct God In our own image And, you know, we're angry at this person Or angry at this political party Or this particular circumstance And every time th- something goes against them We, well oh, there's God, God got them You God know, and, but, but we make God In our own image when we do that does God punish y'all? You bet. He allows us to reap the results of our own behaviors, which means we're constantly reaping those, and the world is as well. Um, but we gotta quit making God in our own image. So, last set of verses are fifteen through
1: eighteen. The Lord said to him, "Go back the way you came, and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael king over Aram." Also, anoint Jehu, son of over king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel... (laughs) I'm making all this up, (laughs) y'all. Mahola ...to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death anyone who escapes the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death anyone who escapes the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Fake it till you make it. So if you don't know the word, you just pronounce it however you want to and pretend like that's how it's supposed to sound.
0: Yes, I mean, Elijah leaves this, leaves this place and he is given uh, instructions by God to go anoint three people. Uh, One person's going to be the next person, the king of Israel, and it's Jehu. The next one's going to be the king of Syria, which is crazy because they are now enemies of Israel. But yet God tells the prophet to go present yourself there and anoint Hazel. And then the third one is Elijah's own protege, or the guy who becomes Elijah's own protege, Elisha, um, who we've not heard of up to this point. And it doesn't mean Elijah doesn't know him. doesn't mean anything like that. We don't know it. But basically, God just says, these are the three people that I'm working. And this is interesting because Elijah's just spent 40 days off by himself thinking it's all done. And when God gets him, regains his focus, and or his and Elijah refocuses on God, guess what had been happening during those 40 days? there's two other kings ready to be anointed and there's another prophet ready to be anointed and it just makes me want to throw my book down and walk out of this room because how many times do I say, well, God just hasn't done X or isn't doing anything or I've been doing this for six months and there's nothing coming up or three months or three days or three hours or whatever. And it's almost like God sometimes just wants to, you know, needs to shake us and say, while you were sleeping, while you were worried about what you were going to eat, this guy's ready to be anointed. This guy's ready to be anointed. This guy's ready to be anointed. Oh, and by the way, there's 7,000 people that you don't even know. You've never even met, but they weren't even a part of the idol worship in the first place. And he doesn't do it mean spirited. Uh, it's just a, it's kind of a wake up call for Elijah.
1: Yeah, that's the one thing I wanted to point out. Go for it. We go from verse 14. He's, and then I'm going to read portions of it. I've been very zealous for you. The mm-hmm. Israelites have rejected your covenant. They've torn down your altars. He's, he's crying out to God. He's complaining about his present situation. They're trying to kill me. And here's what the Lord said to him. Go back the way you came. Go through the desert. And when you get there, and he tells him all these things. God doesn't, there's no hidden verses here that we're reading in the story. Um, he doesn't scold him fuss at him, argue with him. He just picks him up, brushes him off, and sends him out to work again. Um, No castaways. So no matter what it is you've been through or how discouraged you are or have been, he's not there to fuss at you and scold you. I mean, like Daniel said earlier, if you... um, do things that harm yourself you might reap the benefits of those things or not the benefits but this you know what the, the results the I mean. results of those actions however he's not there to kick you while you're down
0: mm.
1: he's just there to be with you through those times and when you do get up and start moving again he brushes you off and you just keep going and He tells him what to do and so he does it and then he comes down here like Daniel just pointed out in that verse 18 he's like and by the way you do have some friends you have a whole army of people with you 7,000 actually in Israel who have just been hiding out just like you have they may feel alone and abandoned too but they're not neither one of you are and in Elijah's mind he was probably the only one still serving God and we feel like that too sometimes But God reminded him that there are many other worshipers there with him as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is a guy who, two months prior, right? So 40 days he's been gone, so add and subtract a few days for whatever else might have been happening in that time period. Two months prior, he's running for his life. He gets up from that and goes and anoints the next king of Israel while Ahab is still the king of Israel. Um, (laughs) Because... He knew God had spoken to him, and and there and it just and then he goes and anoints a crazy man, and the person of Elisha, and Elisha's just flat crazy. <laughs> He's on a whole different level. But uh, in, anyway, so it's just a reminder of God's presence. I mean, He is with us, and He hasn't cast us away. And Elijah thought his time was over to the point that he said, "I'd rather you just go ahead and kill me because I, you know, essentially I've exhausted everything I could do." And God's response is, "No, it's it's okay." It's okay. You're okay. I'm okay. And and then he restores him in a way that challenges probably Elijah's whole perception of how he lived his life. When he hears, oh, by the way, there's 7,000 other people. Obadiah's already told him about 100 people at one point. Mm-hmm. He meets Obadiah. So everywhere he turns, it's like God subtly reminded him, no, there's other people. Yes. And... and that's so antithetical to the way that we approach things as Christians sometimes. We want to we want to be the only one so that we can reap the persecution and feel sorry for ourselves. And I think Elijah may have been there. And, you know, sometimes we need God to just gently say, no, that guy over there, look at how he's being compassionate. Look how he's being forgiving and, and, and showing my love and those sorts of things. Um, I want to
1: point out just a couple things that, that were... Um Just good, solid reminders here. This Hazael, how do you say that? that Hazael. king over Aram, um, just proved and and just reminded us, not necessarily proved, I don't know all about that, but it demonstrated that God is sovereign over a non-Israelite country. Mm -hmm. And then in Jehu, the king over Israel, This reestablished God's sovereignty over the northern kingdom, which the northern and the southern had been split. And then Elijah anointing Elisha as his own replacement, like he's anointing someone to take his place. The writer pointed out, we can ask God to change a discouraging situation, but sometimes we need to hear from him in order to change our perspective. Very similar to what we just saw in the last set of verses. And it's like God was just telling us, Elijah, right here, I'm not done with you yet. Let's go and do this. Let's get up. Let's keep moving. And let's go and do this.
0: Yeah, there's a, there's a popular uh, meme that you see on Facebook every time, every now and then, referencing this passage where it says, you know, Elijah was ready to give up and die. And then God said, take a nap and here's some food. Uh, And it's a reminder that sometimes in our life we really just need to take a nap and eat some food. Um, But that is a reminder for us beyond just that little physical thing of what we're ingesting and consuming um, changes who we become. And Elijah spent 40 days, 40 days on Mount Sinai with God. And at the end of those 40 days, he was completely different in his actions and behavior. Than he was beforehand Uh, prior to that it was all about self-preservation and self-image after that it was all about God's glory and God's promotion and God's faithfulness and so the words that come out of our mouth the things that we post the things that we do um, are they self-promoting or are they all about God's faithfulness and God's goodness and that's where we find ourselves and God is with us because Elijah didn't experience this on a mountain he experienced this in a horrible valley of his own personal life, it was very real to him.
1: Thank you for listening. Um, next week, are we back next week?
0: Yeah, we actually were supposed to start another series because we're a week behind. But
1: right, um, yeah, I I thought this lesson, these lessons were so interesting when we skipped a week. I wanted to, you know, yeah. get it on YouTube. So. Um,
0: so we'll finish it up next we'll week. Finish we'll finish it, it up next yeah, week. First we Kings.
1: It and it's lead others to serve God. And we'll just finish up First Kings 19. Um, and I think we go through 20 or 21 in that. Yeah. Um, this lesson was very timely for me this week. Just getting a little personal. We had, uh, I think it was like Sunday, Saturday, Sunday, just physically was not feeling good and let that become very discouraging and overwhelming. So this lesson was very good.
0: Thank y'all for the wine.